So, Nick, I'm sorry to interrupt you. Uh, you've, you've come straight from a, a party, another online edition for this whole theatrical experience. How did the party go? Life online. Well, it was strange. So we've just come from the first part of the party. I've literally left the kind of the glamorous uh, uh, escape into the party where we've met the cast. Everyone's very nervous to see the show for the first time. Uh, and they're all watching it at the moment. I've seen it yesterday, of course, when we completed the edit. And then uh, we'll meet up again in, in about an hour or so from now and get their reactions. So uh, we, we've spoken over the last year or so about how difficult it's been for so many people in your position, in my position as well, with theatre closing. Uh, how did this project, this on online project come about? Well, you're right. I think the word difficult is a, is a good launching point and obviously putting it in the context of not as difficult as it is for those frontline workers or people who've been directly affected. But yeah, everything stopped, Mal, on, you know, on one day in March, everything just came to a kind of a standstill. And, and I think there was a shock across the theatre and the, the arts industry. And then you know, slowly you start to think about, well, what can we do? And initially that was a lot of Zoom readings and a lot of monologues being done online. And then you sort of think, well, you know, there must be a more ambitious way to get this happening. I was lucky I had a, a link with a guy called... Uh, uh, Ryan Metcalf and Ryan did a lot of sort of CGI VR creation of, of theatres. His work really was um, 4D scanning theatres in in London and on Broadway to sort of create what that space was like. And, and we sort of started to talk about whether there might be an outlet to make something else happen. And, and, and through a kind of process of assimilation and kicking ideas back and forth, we came to this idea of doing an online Romeo and Juliet, which which was sort of born last summer and then got filmed just before the second lockdown in October and November and then has been edited and launches today. So, yeah, strangely, about eight or nine months, which in some ways for a theatre person seems like a long time. Um, but, of course, in the context of film, it's a very quick turnaround. Yeah. Now, then, let's just talk about Ryan's work. Um, and I've got a little bit of an example here of him having taken a theatre apart and then put it back together digitally. How did you use that sort of technology in previous productions? Because I know you, did you work with him on um, Bad Out of Hell? Was that one of the first productions you worked together on? That's absolutely right. And and in a sense, I think Ryan wouldn't mind me saying, we were still looking for how this technology would be used in those days. So I think his main thought was about people wearing VR goggles and being able to perhaps, as a, as a production transferred from London to Australia or to Mexico or to Argentina, you know, that, that they might be able to send this kind of technology ahead and the director and the actors could see what the set would look like before it was built. So in a way, what we've done is we've kind of turned it on its head, really, Mal. We've, we've kind of said, well, what if you start with that technology? What if you start with the possibility in a scenario where you can't be in a room with people, where you can't be in a theatre, of creating the theatre and making it your platform to, to create a world, as, as artists always do? So, yeah, it's, it's been interesting. And, and I feel very much like this is the birth of something. And maybe we haven't got everything absolutely perfect first time around. But there is something to be found in terms of, you know, embracing technology, which for an old so-and-so like me is, 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 is harder than the next generation. You're cutting edge, Nick. You're cutting edge. Um, the thing is, I, I remember you saying to me, they took theatre away from us. And I, and I suppose, what do you do if they take theatre away from us and you meet somebody who can make a virtual theatre? You make a virtual theatre production. I mean, it, it sort of seems obvious now, having seen the trailer and, uh, and, and seen Ryan's work. It does seem, but sometimes the obvious isn't the easiest way to go either, is it? 
it's in us, Mal, you know? I mean, they took theatre away from us because they had to, and we mm. all accept that. No one's grumpy about that. Saving lives is far more important. But, you know, it's been really interesting doing Romeo and Juliet because there's a scene just at the end. Uh, there's no spoiler here because it's been around for a while. <laughs> but uh, there's, there's a scene just at the end where the letter that will bring Romeo and Juliet back together doesn't get through because there's a plague and everyone's in lockdown. And it was incredible to be sitting there and saying... Well, we'll put the mask on. And when the actor says the line about, I couldn't get through because of the pestilence, he just holds his mask up. And you think, that's what Shakespeare dealt with. He'd walk into the globe some days and be told, you can't go in there. Why? Because of the plague. So he'd find other spaces to perform in. And of course, what he did as well was, you know, he didn't have technology. So he wrote every part out for an individual actor. So Romeo would get his part without anything else written. And Juliet would get her part without any other lines written because they had to handwrite everything. And the first time they did the other lines were when they were in the space. Well, our performance had the same because literally the first time they met, well, for some of them was tonight at the opening night party. There are people who played scenes who have never actually been in the room together. So in a way, it's very new. And in a way, it's that 600-year, 2,000-year tradition of you find a way to tell a story yeah okay uh finding new actors how did you go about that did you know who you want did you handpick them or how did it work no we we absolutely threw caution to the wind and we we found a casting director who we'd worked with on some big musicals before jim arnold who's who's a brilliant brilliant casting director and he was willing to kind of like all of us do this work uh, <laughs> but not a lot of money and 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 in an incredibly short time scale and we put out, uh, uh, you know, a casting call to agents in the usual way. And, you know, I think it's a really interesting thing to reflect on about where we're at. You know, if you put a casting call out, you might expect a few hundred uh, applications, given the fact there's not a lot of money involved in this project. It was in a very short time. Well, we had nearly 9,000 tapes that we Goodness had to look at. Me for 12 parts and it, that that to me mal says how much people want to work and and you know none of the the enjoyment we've had is not sort of offset by the sense there are a lot of actors out there who aren't getting to do it but we, we you know we had a lot of tapes and and we were very lucky in a way in that one of the first tapes that landed on my desk was from sam tutty and sam as some people will know has created the role in London of uh, Evan Hansen in Dear Evan Hansen. And uh, what was amazing about that is I was kind of a bit cynical. I thought, well, you know, just because he's famous, just because he's the man of the moment. And he did the most beautiful, engaged, passionate reading. Um, and we made the decision to go with him. And the day before rehearsals, he won the Laurence Olivier Award as the best best actor in a musical. And so, you know, it sort of bore, bore out our kind of our decision. And then we found a brilliant newcomer who'd never done Shakespeare before, before be called, um, called uh, Emily Redpath. And she's been brave and brilliant in the way she's gone about it. One of the things I'm proud about, actually, uh, Mal, is we've got a cast of 14, I think it is. And eight of the performers are doing their first professional job. And, you know, that's important. People of us who've been lucky enough to work in the industry, we've got to look after those graduates who've done nothing. They graduated a year ago now, mm. and they've had no industry to appear in. And so there's a real thrill about finding these uh, young people. I wouldn't call them kids because they've got more brilliance than I'll ever have, who kind of go, yeah, show me, show me then, show me. And so there was an energy and excitement came from, from finding those people. And then, uh, yeah, so we put the cast together that way. Got the cast. Uh, do do the first sort of readings on, on Zoom all together or just individuals? Because, as you say, Shakespeare wrote the parts for individuals a lot, a lot of the time. Did you manage to get them all together on a Zoom call? 
yeah, we met on a Zoom call. Well, we, we, we kind of gathered people and said, hello, this is what we're doing. And um, there were two brilliant phrases that first Zoom call, actually. I remember I said, you know, this is guerrilla theatre. <laughs> we, we, we are not the established state of theatre here. We let the National Theatre and the Royal Shakespeare Company do that. We're, we're like a bunch of insurgents around the edges going, we're going to make something happen. And then Sam, actually, who I was meeting for the first time that morning in person, said, oh, he said, I'm interested to see what it'll be like to be in Romeo and Juliet, the video game. And <laughs> of course, because for them, they were never going to see the set and never going to see the environment they were in. And uh, yeah, so we did a Zoom call and we we sort of, I gave the sort of vision for how I wanted to do it and what my expectations were. And we sort of met everyone over the space of 45 minutes. Um, and that was, I just looked, it was 104 days ago. And then this evening when, when we've had our opening night parties, the first time we've all been together again, 104 days later so the, the read through i did individually because there just wasn't time so i had like an hour with every actor i did a very long day i i started the zoom calls at 10 a.m and i came off the last uh, zoom call uh, at about 10 30 p.m that night and just to say here's what we need to think about here's who the character is and um yeah that was stage one the zoom the zoom world that we all live in you managed to get some people together uh, for some time but not very very close. Uh, I mean, the whole thing about social distancing, we've all tried our very best to adhere to that. But obviously, so, you know, you've got health and safety involved when you've got a, a group of actors. How many people could you get together at any one time in your rehearsal space? We, we hit that sweet spot, really, between the kind of the first major lockdown and before the, the, the autumn lockdown happened, where you were allowed a gathering. You know, they talked about gatherings of six people, I think, was the rule in England where we were. So we stuck to that and we hired a massive room. It was freezing because it was a big old hall of a place. Um, and we were allowed six people in the room as a maximum. So as soon as you've got Romeo and Juliet and the nurse... Well, you're starting to be limited, and I'm a person, and our producer's a person, and our production manager's a person. So we couldn't ever have more than three actors in the space. Um, and we went best practice with it, Mal. We, we stayed five metres away, even though the rule was kind of two or three, depending on who you spoke to. And we had perspex screens. So there was a slightly ridiculous situation where when I moved an actor, I would then dart across the room like Shane Williams, pick up a perspex screen, <laughs> run between the actors and move it to the next place so that no one could actually, you know, as they were speaking, spray... Um, um, you know, spit, yeah. and, and as they were getting passionate, it couldn't go anywhere other than to this this screen. So, yeah, that was tough. And um, you know, you were walking a tightrope all the time between wanting to be creative and far more important, being safe. Um, but yeah, we got through it. We had four days of doing that, which meant really we had sort of 45 minutes on every scene in the place. So, I mean, it was it was like, okay, here's where to stand. Here's how to do it. Try it. Okay, more like that. Let's move on. Uh, and then and then we were filming. So it was. Uh, thrilling and exhilarating and utterly terrifying do you think i mean just thinking about you know william shakespeare and what he had to go through did he have weeks and months of rehearsals for his show so did he you know bash them out get people together learn it and, and do it i mean are you matching more in the um, the original gorilla shakespeare mold I think that's probably true, actually. You know, I think it's probably true that, that he was reactive and that the economic conditions of the time and the, the social conditions of the time meant that it was much more reactive a form. I think the difference they may have had is that Shakespeare, and we forget this, wrote the plays for his favourite actors. So you'd have an actor who would play the nurse and could also play Bottom in Midsummer Night's Dream and could also play Falstaff. And so he knew what he was writing for. Whereas, of course, we were kind of colliding people that we'd never met before and instantly as a director I had to get to know what their strengths and weaknesses were 
in about three minutes and then find out how to make that work, you know. Um, but I've been very lucky, Mal. I've had a lot of experience with working with very experienced actors. You know, when I look back to working on Billy Elliot, where I was working with 12-year-olds who'd never acted before, you learn to kind of be reactive and, and, and make things happen. So it gives you a kind of, um, well, I don't know if you'd say confidence or a bloody-mindedness about getting it done. And, and either way, we got there. So uh, I'll take it. I'm going to come back to your experience before we say goodbye, if that's all right, because you were sort of, you've, you've been prepared. You've done your apprenticeship to get to this point in, in your career, working with lots of different types of, of artists. Um, but, you know, one-to-one in a green space, in a green... I mean, so you'd, how would it work? You'd feed the line, you'd be the nurse, you'd be Romeo, you'd be Juliet, and then they'd have to bounce off you? I mean, pretty much that was it. We had three cameras set up in a in a green uh, a green screen space that was probably it was about the size of someone's living room in 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 Morrison, where I come from. You know, it wasn't it wasn't a kind of a massive space. Um, and then we might set up a kind of a, a seat which was covered in green, so we could later make it into a sofa in the in the computer visualization. And yeah, you know, on on the Monday morning, Romeo would play the lines from his scene with Benvolio and I would read in the Benvolio lines and on the following morning we bring Benvolio in and he'd do the lines the other way around and I'd be Romeo um, and that was interesting but but of course it got harder as it went through because when the first actor does it there's a bit of freedom to just perform it mm-hmm. but by the time the second actor arrives the eye line has to be right oh, but... the moment they stand has to be right so we were having to note all that down uh, and also having to kind of you know put little x's on the wall yeah. to make sure they were looking at the x and that was the eye line they were playing to so yeah a very new language mm. um it's about romeo and juliet it's about love it i mean how do you do that without you know without an embrace without without a kiss Okay, here comes the spoiler. Here comes the spoiler. Um, we 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 thought about that, but actually, before we even met the cast, I said to Ryan and Simon, our, our brilliant producers of Metcalf Gordon, uh, who are the producers of the show, I said, "Look, I think we have to consider if there's a day where under." the correct COVID protocols, we can make some intimacy happen. So we had to pay quite a lot of money for a nurse <laughs> for a day and get the kind of the most expensive COVID test that there, there was. And we had to test the actors and then test them again an hour later to make sure there was kind of as much safety as possible. So we got one day, we got eight hours to work with Romeo and Juliet where they could hold hands and touch each other's faces and um, eventually kiss. And it was strange actually, Mal, because the nurse was there. Uh, Ryan, the producer said, look, you know, we could test you as well if you want nick and i was like oh okay so as a relative he's like, yes you don't have covid so you now can just be as though you're not in 2020 so there was one day it was like it's a wonderful life which is one of my favorite films where i had a day to pretend i wasn't in the 2020 life i was living i could you know put an arm around the shoulder of an actor when they needed encouraging i could take my mask off and demonstrate what i wanted at the end of the day we kind of hugged each other and went, that went well and then there was the awful moment the following morning when I had the same actors of going, stay away. You can't, you can't come within three metres of me. Keep your mask on. So, you know, a little reminder of what, what will come back, Mal. Yeah. I think the important thing is, whilst we're all being reactive, this is lovely and it's a new way of doing things. But what we want is to be back in a theatre. What we want to be is back in live gigs with people like yourself. We want to have that shared experience. And I really hope people will tune in and, and see this as a kind of an experiment, if you like, as a way of keeping theatre alive when it's not alive. But, you know, we're all looking forward to that first day when we're back in the Victoria Palace Theatre or the National Theatre or the Swansea Grand or Pontedowie Arts Centre and, and, you know, being together. That's what we want, isn't it? 
Mm, it is. You know, you, you cast this lad, Sam Tutti. He's he's quite good. He's he's got an Olivier now, so that's good. Yeah. Nice to have that on the CV. Um, but it opens up with another guy who's done quite a, quite a lot. And I, when I saw the trailer, uh, Sir Derek Jacobi. Yeah, another young actor who I think has got a good future it's ahead. Go of a him. long way. Two households, both alike in dignity. In fair Verona, where we lay our scene, from ancient grudge break to new mutiny, where civil blood makes civil hands unclean. From forth the fatal loins of these two foes, a pair of star-crossed lovers take their life, whose misadventured, piteous overthrows do, with their death, bury their parents' spite. Uh, yeah, I think I think if Derek takes my notes well, he's gonna he's gonna have a bit of a future. No, I mean the the truth of that was uh, uh, we we I always had this vision. I, I call this piece my love letter to theatre because it's set in a disused theatre, and from the very off we wanted to kind of reflect that in the structure. So, uh, you know, people buy a ticket to come and see it, and uh, a percentage of that ticket goes to a charity called Arts for All, which um, supports people who work in the arts and support schemes to get young people to see theatre. It's a brilliant, brilliant charity. And and Derek Jacobi, Sir Derek Jacobi, is, is a patron of that. So when he heard about it, he, he said, look, I'd be happy to... Basically, he performs the prologue for us. So, you know, I mean, it's mind-blowing for me. I mean, I can remember as a kid seeing I, Claudius, and, oh, yeah. you know, at, at the age of about 20, going to see Derek Jacobi in, in a production in, in the West End of London, and he's a legend. So then when you're suddenly sort of sending him an email saying, can you do it like this? You kind of go, well, I think he probably knows what he's doing. So that's been a lovely experience. But again, you know, I mean, some of the actors who were involved found out they're in a production with Derek Jacobi, about a week ago because it, it all happened you know separately so yeah it's been great to have his support it's been great to have someone who stands for excellence involved and i think a credit to someone who's i hope he won't mind me saying this a little bit older that he's willing to get involved in new ways of doing things you know i mean i think if you look at judy dench and Derek Jacobi and the brilliant Sir Ian McKellen, who's recently supported the West Glamorgan Youth Theatre with a, with a grant to, to, to keep them going, they, they see the future. And isn't it brilliant that those people who'd be quite within their rights to sit on a yacht somewhere in in, uh, in Nice or Saint-Tropez are saying, you know, actually, let's just look at how we go forward. And so a great privilege to say I've worked with Derek Jacobi. Yeah. Um, you mentioned the West Glamorgan Youth Theatre and uh, thanks to Ian McKellen for, for his support. It needs the support because it's it's always in danger, you know, those uh, peripheral services for, for, for school kids, but it's not. It's created so many careers. It uh, has put uh, West Glamorgan on, on the map. You know, we think of Russell T. Davis, uh, all those people who've, who've come through it, Edward Thomas, the, the designer and all of that. That's the first time we worked together was one summer, one glorious summer at uh, Danakoid, which sadly is no longer a residential centre. How important was West Glamorgan to you in your in your growing up, but also in your in your plans for the future it changed my life <laughs> it's as simple as that i was i was uh, you know my, my brilliant parents did anything that i needed when i was a kid and and um uh, but they're not in any way theatrical or interested in the arts i mean other than everyone's interested in the arts to watch a good tv play or whatever and then i you know through my school i was in san samla junior comp and then morrison comprehensive school and and they mentioned this thing called the west glamorgan new theater which was run by this 
genius, this genius of a kind of an educator called Godfrey Evans, who who sort of just took a load of young people who were 13, 14 and exposed us to Pinter and Shakespeare and a Czech playwright called Václav Havel and Stephen Sondheim and said, look, here's what the arts can be and, and it belongs to you. That's the thing, you know, Mal, I think the arts belong as much to a kid from Morriston as they do to a kid from Eton or Harrow. And and that's the battle that we're engaged in now. And that's not that's not a reverse class snobbery of saying, I mean, I'm thrilled when Eddie Redmayne or Benedict Cumberbatch or those people who've been to private school win an Oscar because they're brilliant actors. But I want to find the next Adrian Lester, the next Anne-Marie Duff, the next oh, Michael, Michael Sheen. Sheen. Michael Sheen. And they're sat now on the Sandfields estate in Patorba. They're sat now in Town Hill. They're sat now in Penland. And we have to all commit to doing whatever we can to, to provide the kind of roots to do it. And there is no better youth theatre. And I'm not saying it because I went there, because I'm, very, I'm only involved in a very casual way now. There's no better youth theatre in Britain, if the world, than the West Glamorgan Youth Theatre, run now by the inspirational Viv Buckley, they're still doing it. They're still taking 50 kids a year and saying, look at what you could have. And, mm-hmm. and, and you know, we've had a lot of time for reflection in the last year. And one of the things I've reflected on is just how utterly lucky I was to just stumble into Danakoid Education Centre and work with Godfrey Evans and now work with Derry Chackaby and work with Mal Pope. I've worked with all the greats. <laughs> In the same sentence, you've made an old man very happy tonight. Um, thinking then about your, your own career, I mean, it's funny how these little steps happen. You obviously, you've done television. You'd gone into, into education and West Glamorgan. Uh, Hunky Dory, working with a, a friend of, of both of us, a guy called Mark Evans, who directed recently directed the Pembrokeshire Murders. It's funny, those little connections. It was a film in Swansea. You were involved in it, and it, it leads to, well, connections. You know, someone said to me once, it's all about who you know. Well, go out and meet people. And you met people on that film. Do you know it's a, it's a funny old thing. I, I I mean Mark Evans. It's I I really hope I get to work with Mark again because we sort of worked together and sort of didn't. Uh, I was working with West Glamorgan New Theatre. I'd done some plays with the the playwright Ed Thomas, different Ed Thomas, uh, which and so I had a bit of a name locally, but nothing else. And I got a phone call one day from a company in London saying, you know, we're doing a film and we'd like to talk to you because we need to know more about young people in the area. And the chap who turned up, or two people turned up, Mark Evans, who was directing the film, and a chap called John Finn who uh, was the producer. And we chatted about this project, Hunky Dory. And I said, look, I'll, hap- I'll help in whatever way I can. And they just wanted contacts, really. In the end, I worked with Mark in, in the auditions for his brilliant film, I think, Hunky Dory, very underrated, uh, and really enjoyed working with him and was due to work on the film. But the producer I met, John Finn, he said, oh, I'm... I'm I said, what have you produced before, John? He said, oh, I, I produced... a." a a little British film called Billy Elliot. I don't know if you've heard of it. And I went, yeah, I think I think we've all heard of it. Uh, as, as we sank a pint of Stella in the monkey bar in, in Swansea, would you believe? And um, John said, yeah, we're doing a musical of Billy Elliot, he said. And I said, well, that sounds like a terrible idea, John. You know, da- <laughs> dancing policemen and miners. He went, I think it might be, he said. And Elton John's writing the music. We don't know how that's going to go. But long story short, you know, John was kind enough to offer me initially the resident director and then later the associate director's job on, Billy Elliot, the, the the musical. So, you know, suddenly I was working on the the most exciting musical of the day, and and a piece that meant something. Coming from Wales, where those mining communities were around me most, where my dad grew up politically, I was very in tune with it. So it was a dream first job, and as a result, it kind of made me the go to person to work on big musicals. So Billy Elliot, and then an arena tour of Jesus Christ Superstar, and Mamma Mia, and uh, yeah, I've been very very lucky indeed. 
It's funny, the harder you work, the luckier you get, don't you? Um, so back to this production, because it goes on sale on Saturday night. It's sort of like for the Valentine's period, so it's, ve it's very good technically marketing right over the, the love period of Valentine's. Um, how do people actually get to see it? Uh, well, if you if you search uh, Romeo and Juliet 2021, it'll lead you to the website. And then basically what you do is you find out the, the, the screening schedule over the next couple of weeks. Uh, you click on and then you request a code. So you pay your money and you get a ticket effectively. And then you can watch that performance. And one, it's important to say once the performance starts, you get it for a few hours. It's not like you have to stay there. You can watch the first act, go and make yourself a cup of tea or, uh, you know, catch up, on the, <laughs> catch up on the Wales score at halftime and then come back for the, the second half as, wow. as it is. So, so, yeah, um, Romeo and Juliet 2021, uh, you'll find it there. Fabulous. We'll put all the, obviously, the details up uh, with, with this podcast as well. Um, for yourself now then, uh, put your feet up. Uh, nothing to do for a couple of couple of weeks. Or what, I mean, what are the plans? What are the plans for you? Six Nations, very importantly, you know. I mean, let's 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 put things Priorities. in order of priority. Absolutely. Uh, no, there's there's nothing really lined up, Mal, because again, we don't know when those theatres are going to reopen. So, um, you know, I, my, my best guess would be there'll be some movement to reopen the theatres in the summer if things go well with vaccines and variants and all the things we see on the news every day. I think we probably will get the industry back to some degree in the autumn, which will be eighteen months after it closed, and a, and a proper kind of flow for the industry by next spring 2022 i mean i don't know that that's guesswork on my mm -hmm. part but but i think that the important thing is and you know this is what i've tried to do and what i've learned is to sit in the pocket be grateful for where you're at be grateful for the health of the people around you i'm doing bits of online teaching which i'm grateful for i'm having the time to talk to people like yourself which i don't always get to do because you do um, your own podcast don't you that's um, as well talking to all sorts of people Oh, I'm really glad you mentioned that. Yes, I'm I'm launching in early March, and I'll, I'll send you the link for that as well, a podcast called Ticket to Ride. And basically, I have a different guest, and I, I offer them five tickets to relive journeys that shaped their lives. So we have wonderful guests like Eddie Reader from Fairground Attraction, Kirsty Walk, the Newsnight presenter, um, uh, Tracy Brabin, the MP, and it's lovely to hear about the journeys that have shaped their lives. So, yeah, you know, that's the thing, isn't it? We've all found new ways of doing things. And, and in, in the, the midst of a pretty dark storm, we found little, shafts of light and may we all continue to do that wish you well wish you well with romeo and juliet 2021 as well nick thanks very much for your time this evening so back to the party now what's going to happen next tonight you, you put your dinner jacket I, back on i the the dinner jacket will go back on and uh, i may pour myself a, a small glass of guinness just to raise to the actors guinness. fantastic always lovely to speak to you take care god bless it's a pleasure mal as always Two households, both alike in dignity, in fair Verona where we lay our scene, from ancient grudge break to new mutiny, where civil blood makes civil hands unclean. From forth the fatal loins of these two foes, a pair of star-crossed lovers take their life, whose misadventured, piteous overthrows do with their death, bury their parents' spite. These violent delights have violent ends. Draw, if you be men. Oh, most wicked fiend. Tis torture and not mercy. 
Save! This shall determine that!